This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. One of the things that news in your bill, it says news organizations want to, uh, you know, boost their reach, obviously, but you're going to, they'll be compensated not only for the news stories they write, but even for a link. Can you justify why links are considered compensatory? Because there, there's a value to that. Because if you click on the link and then you go to the news, there's a value to that. One of the points that we're coming to is this idea that a link has value. And I think that the whole purpose of why we're here, what we're talking about with C18, is the fact that that link is creating more value to the global platforms than it is to the Canadian journalism organizations. I think it's astonishing to just assume that if you open up Facebook or you click a, a Twitter uh, link or uh, you're, uh, you're on Google that Canadian content does not have value. If we agree that it has value, um, then we agree we should, uh, we should assess that value. The hearings on the Online News Act, Bill C-18, wrapped up last week. After the House of Commons takes a week-long break, the bill heads for clause-by-clause review starting on November 18th. I was unexpectedly but happily asked to appear again before the committee on the bill. I'll get to my opening statement and exchanges with MPs from several parties in a moment. But first, I think it's important to emphasize that the central concern with the bill and its broader implications still hasn't received sufficient attention. There has been an odd and I think misleading insistence from the government and the bill supporters that the bill doesn't involve payment for links. As you just heard in the intro, Canadian Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez, the head of the Canadian Association of Broadcasters Kevin Desjardins, and Liberal MP Michael Coteau have effectively confirmed what is plain from the bill itself, namely that it does involve evaluation and payments for links. Now, I raise this in my opening statement noting that the language in the bill clearly covers links and that further the bill doesn't treat all links equally. With Bill C-18, the government is saying that links to news content from sources such as Bell, Rogers, and the CBC are viewed as compensable, but similar links to news content from small media outlets are not. Further, the bill effectively says that whether compensation is due also depends on where the expression occurs, since it mandates that certain venues pay to allow their users to express themselves. For example, post a link to a Globe and Mail news article on Facebook, and the government argues that it has value and should be compensated. But post the same link on Twitter, and the government says it doesn't. Identical expression, but the government establishes eligibility rules that says one has value, the other doesn't, based solely on where the expression occurs. I mentioned this in the opening, but didn't have enough time to really focus on why I think this matters. Aside from the obvious unfairness, once government decides that some platforms must pay to permit their users to engage in certain expression, the same principle can be applied to other policy objectives. For example, the Canadian organization Journalists for Human Rights has argued that misinformation is akin to information pollution and that platforms should pay a fee for hosting such expression, much like the Bill C-18 model. The same policies can be expanded to other areas deemed worthy of government support. Think health information or educational materials are important, and those sectors could use some additional support, 
Why not require payments for those links from platforms? Indeed, once the principle is established that links may require payment, the entire foundation for sharing information online is placed at risk, and the essential quality of freedom of expression, I think, is compromised. I touch on this issue, along with many of my other concerns with the bill, in my opening statement. Thank you very much, Chair. Good afternoon. You know, my name is Michael Geist, law professor at the University of Ottawa, appearing in a personal capacity representing only my own views. Thanks to the committee for this unexpected opportunity to speak again about Bill C-18, particularly following some of the technical challenges that I faced during a prior appearance. I'd like to focus my remarks on why I think the bill mandates payment for links and why I think that creates a threat to freedom of expression. But before doing so, let me highlight several additional concerns that I'd be happy to address in further detail during the question period. First, Bill C-18's eligibility criteria are deeply flawed. I think everyone's aware, and I've already heard, that the current rules may exclude some small news outlets. Beyond that, the dominance of broadcasters in the system, notably companies such as Bell as well as the CBC, I believe run counter to the professed goal of the bill supporting local independent news. Parliamentary Budget Officer estimates that more than 75% of the revenues will go to these companies. This despite limited tangible connection between links and uh, uh, radio stations, and that CBC News content, I think, is a public good for which facilitating access should be encouraged. Second, many of the eligible news outlets will not be subject to journalistic standards under this bill. Unlike the QCGO model, which features detailed rules to ensure appropriate standards before tax support is available, Bill C-18 allows other news outlets, including foreign outlets, to qualify without similar standards, risking low-quality low journalism. Third, Bill C-18 violates copyright norms by suspending limitations and exceptions from the bargaining process in Section 24. This runs counter to the foundation of Canadian copyright law and may violate Article 10 sub 1 of the Berne Convention, which has a mandatory right of quotation that expressly includes news articles. Fourth, Bill C-18 establishes final offer arbitration, yet still intervenes in the process by allowing the panel to reject final offers. That upends the entire purpose of the model, which is designed to encourage best offers by both sides. Fifth, I think it's important to note that the government's existing policies with tax support may be working. Minister Rodriguez talked about over 400 news outlets closing since 2008, but neglected to mention that the same report found over 200 new news outlets opening in the same period and that there have been no net new losses over nearly the last two years. There's other concerns, but I want to use my remaining time to focus on what I think is the biggest issue, mandated payments for links. The definition of facilitating access to news content in Section 2 sub 2 upon which this system is based, includes a breathtakingly broad definition that clearly includes links, aggregation, and even indexing. The inclusion of links is not in doubt. Minister Rodriguez has talked about the value of links. The Canadian Association of Broadcasters, when they appeared before this committee, talked about the value of links, saying that the whole purpose of why we're here and what we're talking about with Bill C-18 had to do with value of links. And even earlier this week, Mr. Cotou said that he found it astonishing that some argue that if you click on a Twitter link, there is no value. The Supreme Court of Canada has warned that creating links could impair the way the Internet functions. 
yet payment for links are at the core of this bill and it doesn't matter if it is an aggregate charge for all links or a per link fee. The harm is the same. Bill C-18 not only requires payment for links, it says that expression with links is not equal. Links to news content from sources such as Bell or the CBC are viewed as compensable, but similar links to news content from small media outlets are not. Further, the bill effectively says that whether compensation is due also depends on the expression, on where the expression occurs, since it mandates that certain venues pay to allow their users to express themselves. Post a link to a Globe and, news article, Globe and Mail news article on Facebook, and the bill says there is value that should be compensated. Post the same link on Twitter, as Mr. Cotu noted, and the bill says it doesn't. Aside from the obvious unfairness, the broader implications of this policy I think are even more troubling. Once the law says that some platforms must pay to permit expression, the same principle can be applied to other policy objectives and the entire foundation for sharing information online is placed at risk. 30 seconds. To be clear, helping journalism is important, but Bill C-18's dangerous approach ascribes value to links where there isn't any, regulates which platforms must pay in order to permit, to permit expression from their users, and dictates which sources are entitled to compensation. There are better ways to do this, including the fund model that has been supported by some of today's panelists in the past. I look forward to your questions. The issue of who benefits, namely large broadcasters such as Bell and the CBC, who are by far the largest beneficiaries in the bill according to the Parliamentary Budget Officer, arose in a question from Conservative MP Kevin Waugh. Dr. Geist, um, I, I flagged a long time ago along with yourself the, the huge Bell, Rogers, CBC, public broadcaster taking a lot of the money, and it was verified by the budget parliamentary officer. Nearly 75% of the money that will become available through Google and Facebook, Meta, will in fact go to the big <coughs> industry players. Uh, I'm very concerned. Uh, my colleague Martin Shields and I have talked about the arbitration that these little newspapers in Canada really have no means of fighting when they do get to the table, if they in fact do get to the table with these giants. Your thoughts on that, because you've been very uh, opinionated, I would say, uh, of, the, of the three, along with myself, and I just want you to kind of back me up a little bit, if you don't mind. Thanks for the question. Yeah, well, I, I have been vocal, and I have to say that I actually thought that the parliamentary budget officer's data, frankly, it took me by surprise. It wasn't included in the initial report. It only came a little while later in a link to an Excel spreadsheet. And I think that it took a lot of people by surprise to learn that slightly over three-quarters of the money by their estimate would go to large broadcasters. And I think that, you know, a big chunk of that may well be from radio stations, which many of these broadcasters have. I must admit, I don't see the, the clear link between radio stations and what someone may post to Facebook or what we see um, in Google News. I mean, frankly, it just typically never even appears in that context, so it's not clear to me what's being compensated. And with respect to the CBC, I like the CBC. I think the CBC, I've been long been an advocate. Seconds, Kevin? I've, I've long been an advocate to try to ensure that CBC content is as widely accessible and available as possible. Seems to me intermediaries that help ensure that that takes place are exactly what we want to see happen. 
the public has already paid for this content. And to have the CBC effectively now compete with local media, not just for digital ad dollars, but now compete as well for this pot of money, I think Please is harmful up, at the end of the day. I just did. The copyright issue I raised in my opening arose with two MPs, Conservative MPs Marilyn Gladue and Martin Shields. Mr. Shields touched on several other issues as well including the benefits of a fund model rather than the Bill C-18 approach and questions about transparency. For Mr. Geis, uh, you know, I'm concerned when I hear that there's a constitutional uh, problem with the DNI definition that we have, and now you've mentioned the copyright law that uh, that we may be infringing 10-1 of the Berne Convention. What will happen if the bill's passed without fixing those things? Well, I think it, 30 I, seconds, Mr. Guy. Sure, I'll try to go quick. And there's, I think, a lot to talk about with respect to copyright, which hasn't received, I think, the attention that it deserves. Uh, I think it's a real problem for especially a bill that comes out of heritage that focuses so much on copyright, especially a journalism bill that depends upon fair dealing as part of what journalism is all about, to undermine that and essentially say that certain groups aren't entitled to exercise the limitations and exceptions that the Supreme Court of Canada has said are user rights. Layer on top of that, the clear requirement. Uh, thank it's not you, just thank there. you, it's Mr. A... Geist. Sure. Dr. Geist, uh, you know, my father started a weekly newspaper and he was the only journalist. So he would have never qualified for this. Then we've got, as many weekly papers have told me, that the Fed advertising money has all gone to the foreign. So our taxpayers' money is going to those foreign big guys. If they said they'd give it back to us, they'd be fine. Um, but, I mean, we get $40 million more given to the CBC yesterday. It already gets $1.2 billion. Yet none of that will go to my weekly newspapers and my writings. You've talked about a lot of things, possibly, and you didn't get a chance to talk about the copyright. And that's a huge issue that we've kicked around in a number of committees here on the Hill. Would you like to get into that one? I would. Thanks for that question. I would. Well, I would like to, to suggest so that we are dealing with C-18. Uh, and not with copyright. It is. So if Mr. Geist can answer as quickly or as, as succinct to the topic that we're dealing with, please. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. But there's a full section on copyright in the bill, and I'm referring specifically to Section 24 in the bill. Um, which All has, right. Go which, ahead, then. Thank you. Which has the effect of removing limitations and exceptions from the, pro- from the prospect of negotiation. I think it's important to recognize that we need to ask the question, what exactly is being compensated here? Uh, I don't believe that it can simply be that we're compensating because one set of companies have done well and another set of companies are struggling. We didn't ask Netflix to pay Blockbuster because they came up with a better model. So what we're compensating is use, and it talks about use here. If what we were talking about was full publication of, of these works... Uh, then I think you could credibly say that if you're copying, if you're Facebook or Google, and you're copying full text, we'd like to see compensation. And I actually believe that's, that's what the agreements that they've reached with these publications are for. That's why they're commercial agreements different from the agreements we see in this bill. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about full publication. We're talking about something as simple as a link. And a link, I would argue, is, from a copyright perspective, certainly not an act of republication. And even further than that, the kind of use that is being used with this link is clearly permitted under the Copyright Act. I'd argue, frankly, it may not even fall there, in part because it's so de minimis. It just doesn't even rise to the level of a substantial use. But if it does, this is clearly fair dealing. 
And the Supreme Court of Canada has said this is a user's right that is core to our copyright law. For this legislation to say that those rules simply don't apply to a particular class of users scares me. What happens when you turn around and say education isn't entitled to this? What happens when you say other groups, certain, other, certain large publications aren't entitled to this, they should be compensating? I think that we rely upon, and journalists rely upon, fair dealing. And so that, that insertion in the Copyright Act, which I should note does not appear in the Australian legislation, is a mistake that should be removed. Thank you. You also mentioned the possibility of different ways to get into the financial aspect rather than the linked money. And you were suggesting you didn't get an opportunity to say the ways you would do it other than the way they're talking about compensation now. We've had several people talk about the fund model, and quite frankly, the fund model is not the same as some of those existing funds. I think those existing funds that we've already heard about are quite positive, and I think they've had a real positive effect, which is why you see over the last couple of years uh, essentially a balance between new startups and, and entities that have been closing. But a fund model on here that would require the Facebooks and Googles to contribute it could be on the basis of uh, the revenues that they're generating, or it could just be from general tax revenues. There's a number of ways that you can try to do that. It removes a whole series of issues, because now you're funding journalism. You get rid of these eligibility criteria questions, because anybody's eligible to apply so long as uh, what they're doing is actively engaged in journalism. You get rid of some of the other, hard, other questions about why is all this money going to broadcasters? Well, if broadcasters are producing this stuff and putting in applications out of a fund, then they'd be, they'd be able to get it. But it levels the playing field for who has access, removes the questions around the lack of transparency on these deals, and removes the influence that some of these companies have over those issues. And so I think, frankly, it's a far better model that gets rid of many of the concerns that have been raised in this context and gets to the heart of what I hear the government saying they want to achieve, which is to support more journalism, the fund could help, I think, do that without some of the negative externalities that are, being, that are coming out of this particular bill. And that's, I suppose... 30 the, seconds, Mr. The, Shields. The transparency issue you talked about is to have that as transparent as possible. We should be clear on transparency. Everyone talks about how this bill is more transparent. The deals are still not public under this legislation. Uh, there's aggregate numbers that are made available. I suppose that there may be some benefit to that. The truth is some of these companies are public companies anyway that we may be able to divine from some of their public statements the kind of benefits they're getting from this. This bill doesn't throw open the very deals that I keep hearing talked about at this committee. What an open system Please would do... Please wrap up your yeah, answer, I will, Dr. Geist. I will, I will chair. Overtime. I will chair. What a fund would do would be create an open, transparent system where we would see who is the beneficiary and specifically what kind of journalism is being funded. Conservative MP John Nader asked me about the implications of the bill for innovation. Professor Geist, and I will also give uh, Professor Owen a, a response to, uh, to res or an opportunity to respond to to my first question as well, and that's about the uh, the, the idea of innovation within the news media industry. And uh, uh, certainly, we we've, we've seen you know particularly in the last uh, few years new, different, and innovative um, models in terms of how uh, how Canadians receive the news and how different uh, providers provide the news. Uh, so I'm curious to hear from both of you and start with Professor Geist what your your thoughts are on uh, where innovation fits into uh, C18 and, and how that may uh, may play a role in terms of uh, new entrance into the news media and journalistic uh, mar uh, market. So I'll start with you, Professor Geis, and then I'll give Professor Owen a chance to respond as well. Sure. Well, thanks. Thanks for that. I think we have seen 
a huge amount of innovation. I've, in this sector, I've, uh, I run a regular podcast. I've had some of uh, the entities that are servicing local communities engaged in this. Ms. Hepner mentioned uh, the local journalism project that April Lindgren has involved with, and she, through that project, has identified hundreds of new startups that have occurred during the same period of time. And frankly, I think it's unfortunate to belittle it as being just mom and pop shops or one and two people. Uh, in many instances, these, I think, will be uh, the future of servicing in some of these communities. In fact, there are communities where it is one of the lead sources. Um, some of those startups have said this is not the approach they would like to see happen. In fact, they worry about uh, the prospect of seeing new sharing curtailed because they see uh, some of those large platforms more in the context of being partners as opposed to being adversarial. But I do think that that innovation piece is important. And so I worry... Um, when we see eligibility criteria that may exclude many of those kinds of innovative startups. And I worry when we take a look at the PBO's estimates that it's going, that almost all the money is going to well-established players. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to, if we want to see that next generation of innovation, it's not just about supporting some of the legacy players, some of whom may have struggled to adapt into this environment. It's those that have embraced it and are finding new ways to deliver. And so I think there's a lot of exciting stuff that is taking place, and I worry about legislation that purports to level the playing field, but in fact does anything but. Liberal MP Anthony Housefather, who appeared on this podcast earlier this fall to talk about online anti-Semitism, raised an important question about the bill's approach to final offer arbitration. My first question is going to be to uh, Dr. Geist and Professor Owen. Um, and, uh, and basically, sorry for this, I'm a lawyer and our amendments are due November the 10th. And uh, I actually am interested in the baseball arbitration part of this, uh, both because I like baseball and because I think it's an important part of the, of the equation. Um, Dr. Geist, you have written, um, and I'm going to quote you so that I get it fairly right, um, yet you say, yet Section 39 gives the arbitration panel the right to reject an offer on several policy grounds. Why would such a provision be necessary in a final arbitration system that encourages submitting your best offer? Is it, only necessary if, it is only necessary if you fear one side will examine the evidence and proffer a low offer on the grounds that it does not believe that there has been a demonstration of comparable value. But um, I would agree with you, uh, certainly if this was a baseball-type arbitration where you were throwing at a salary number and the entire, the entire proposal was a salary number, but with the way I read Section 39, this is where I want your take in terms of wording. It, it says, an arbitration panel must dismiss any offer that, in its opinion, A, allows a party to exercise undue influence over the amount of compensation to be paid or received, and I'll just stick with B, A and B, is not in the public interest because the offer would be highly likely to result in serious detriment to the provision of news content to persons in Canada. So b based on how Facebook um, came here last week, let's say, for example, that Facebook provided a number which is a high number. And they said, but as part of that high number, you are not allowed to write articles that are critical of Facebook, and you have to publish glowing, uh, glowing testimony about Mark Zuckerberg three times a month. To me, that is the reason why you have a Section 39, because it's taking things that are extraneous to the actual offer, that are not in the news media's best interest, certainly, and definitely not, and definitely could allow Facebook to exercise influence over the other party. So, so I, can I come back to you and say, based on that type of an approach, wouldn't this then be a reasonable thing to have there if it was limited to things like that? Thanks. That's a great question. I'll say a couple things. First, there is a C, 
which talks about fairness in the marketplace, and it's or, so it's any of those criteria that apply. But I think even more than that, if we are saying that we trust in the CRTC and then by extension trust in the arbitration panel that gets established, if they were to come in with completely un their their lowball offer was not just a lowball offer in terms of fi in terms of the financial compensation, but lowball in the sense that they attached all kinds of what we might see as unacceptable conditions, as opposed to an offer on the other side that was seen as fairer and doesn't have that. Well, then it seems to me to be a bit of a slam dunk that the panel will take a look at that, reject the Facebook offer, and say we're going to take that other one. That's the whole point of this system. And to that ability to intervene and where I have a concern where this comes up is that I think that the parties could look at this and say, we don't see value um, on links. Uh, if anything, we see value of links going the other direction. So here's our offer. It's viewed as low and it doesn't achieve the broader objectives that I know the government has for this legislation. I'm going to come to you next, uh, Professor Owen. So, so just coming back, so you're basically, your opinion would be that Section 38 in itself is sufficient for the panel to make a decision related to such a crazy, let's say even if it's a higher offer, right? Like, let's say it's not a lowball offer. Let's say it's a very high offer. They go to want to pay off the whole news media to write glowing things about them. Uh, you would say that that still is enough un under 38 and 39 then should not be there because 38 is sufficient. Think, That's your position. Okay. Yeah, I, I, listen, I've, as you know, I've got issues yes. with the legislation, but I think that you could remove 39 and remain true to the final arbitration process. Housefather also gave Green MP Mike Maurice the chance to ask about broadcast getting the lion's share of the funds from Bill C-18. My answer was cut short by time, so while I had the chance to make the case that the CBC should either be removed from the bill or only eligible once regulations take effect, I didn't have the chance to address the other large broadcasters, where I think rules are required to ensure that there is a more direct link between the broadcaster and the platforms. For example, if a radio station is unable to demonstrate any significant use of their content on an internet platform, it seems to me that it shouldn't be eligible for the Bill C-18 Manded Payment for Link system. Mr. Maurice, Madam Chair, wanted to ask a brief question. If I have 30 seconds, I'm going to give it to him. Yes, okay. Thank you, Mr. Mr. Maurice, be quick because your 30 seconds is winding down. Uh, th thank you, Mr. Housefather, and thank you, Chair. I have a question to Dr. Geist or Dr. Owens. In terms of the less than 25% that the PBO is saying going, is going to smaller newspapers, do you have a suggested amendment that would help to address that? Yeah, my view would be the CBC should be excluded from the process altogether. The legislation already recognizes the need for regulations to include them. Uh, and so I would, st I would say, for example, that they would only be eligible if regulations are established at a minimum. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LawBitesPod or Michael Geist at MGeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The LawBites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.